The reading this evening is from uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 1 to 30. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. The king answered the uh, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and, we'll sh and we will show it its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with the flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied, with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from God, of, uh, from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. 
He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed, to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you uh, what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Thank you uh, very much. Now, it's a great storyteller we have tonight that we're dying to know what the dream is and what the interpretation is, but more than half the chapter precedes that. Keep your Bibles open. It'll help us a lot. There's an order of, uh, there's, a, a, there's an insert, which is my second go at the outline tonight. Don't look at the back page, look at the insert. And clock this before we pray. This text that we are reading tonight is about events that happened round about 600 BC. And the book of Daniel was composed around 530 BC, just after the end of the exile. Now clock that, clock the date of this text. And by the end of tonight, by God's grace and in the power of His Spirit, God will impress on us that we can absolutely trust His revealed Word to show us the destiny of this world. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for these marvelous chapters in the Bible, in the book of Daniel. And dear Father, over the next half an hour or so, as we come under the authority of Your Word preached, convince us 
through the Holy Spirit, applying your word, that the Lord reigns. So convince us that we will live in light of it and never doubt it. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now, the first question you'll see on the service sheet, do we really believe that the Lord reigns? Do we really believe it? Because it does not look like, and it does not feel like the Lord reigns. It never has, apart from very few times in the history of the island where we live. It does not look like, just look out into Edinburgh and Scotland. It does not look like the Lord reigns. 67,000 people packed into Murrayfield this afternoon to watch Scotland reigning over Australia. That is way, way more people for one sports event than were in church today in this city. Way, way more. It does not look like the Lord reigns. And it does not feel like it. It feels like when you speak of Jesus, you are all alone in a tiny minority saying something that folk think is ridiculous. Now, for our encouragement and our confidence, we go back to these remarkable events recorded in the book of Daniel. Chapter 1, and do listen to the talk from last week as an intro to the series, 605 BC, just a couple of years before the events of chapter 2. 605 is the beginning of the exile. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, in their late teens, taken into exile in Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of the superpower of the ancient world at this time, Babylon, who had conquered Jerusalem. Daniel and his friends were the first wave of exiles. The king's tactics, Nebuchadnezzar's tactics, are astute. Put God out of their lives, the next generation of leaders, and so put God out of the nation's life for generations to come. He immersed them in Babylonian culture through a mix of indoctrination and wonderful opportunities. And that heady mix is exactly the same in a city like this. A different worldview and yet wonderful opportunities. Daniel and his friends are an inspiration as to how believers are to live as exiles in the world of Babylon. They are our inspiration as Christians. The letter of 1 Peter picks up this theme, describing Christians as elect exiles. We are elect, chosen by God, yet living as exiles in the world. Daniel and his friends are our example, for they did not withdraw, they did not compromise, 
They were godly in their actions, manner, and speech. And they were not afraid because they knew in spite of what it looked like or felt like that their God reigns. They lived distinctively in light of that fact. Now, through chapter 1, a note was sounded in the background again and again. And that note, in the background, you could hear it coming through a little bit like I was listening out for the bass guitar. Every so often you heard the bass notes coming through. The Lord reigns. And if that note was sounded quietly in chapter 1, chapter 2 is like a solo with a bass guitar. The Lord reigns is amplified with trumpets, a whole orchestra. One of the great, great chapters in the Old Testament, indeed the Bible. Chapter 2 is precisely dated the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, right after the events of chapter 1. You'll see on the outline the structure of the chapter. Nebuchadnezzar brackets the chapter, verse 1, his troubling dreams, verses 46 to 49, his remarkable response to the revelation that is given to him. And then in the middle, we get all the stuff on the revelation. Let's work through the chapter and then apply it. Firstly, verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar's troubling dreams. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Next, verses 2 to 30. And the title I've given to these verses, Revelation Comes from God Alone Through His Word. Now, it is striking and significant that we have 29 verses, more than half the chapter, before we are told what Nebuchadnezzar's dream is and the interpretation. Like in chapter 3, as we'll see next week, Four-fifths of the chapter is before you get to the fiery furnace bit at the end. And in chapter 6, all, almost all the chapter is before we get to the lion's den. Now, we will get to the dream and its interpretation, but the first half is just as important because we need to know and know without any shadow of doubt that it is God alone who reveals this kind of absolute truth, and no one else can. Now, that is made clear to us in this text. Firstly, in verses 2 to 13, by the exposure, if you like, of the futility of human power and wisdom. Nebuchadnezzar is entirely unreasonable. He says to the best minds of Babylon, I want you to do two things. One, tell me what I dreamt. Now, whether he had forgotten what he dreamt or whether he's just a smart cookie, 
knowing fine well that if he told them what he had dreamt, they would come up with an interpretation that was favorable to him. He says, tell me, if, if you are truly wise, and we're talking about the wisdom of the Ivy League of the ancient world, King's College Babylon, tell me what I dreamt, and then tell me what it means. And as the narrative develops, he becomes more and more aggressive and irrational, and his wise men more and more desperate with the threat of horrific punishments made in the same breath as the promise of lavish gifts. And then the text gives us a key text, verse 11. It's a statement of the obvious. Let me pose another question as we read verse 11. Tell us what is going to happen to humanity. Tell us what the answer is. You may have listened to David Attenborough's speech at the COP26 conference. I thought it was very moving. And effectively, he was speaking with a great passion for the creation, pleading with the world to wake up and realize. And in a sense, what he was saying is, what are we going to do? What is the answer? Verse 11. The thing that the king asks, tell us the truth, it is difficult. No one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh, humanity. Come on, Nebuchadnezzar, what you're asking to tell us, for us to tell you the dream and its interpretation is beyond any human being. Only the gods can speak. And God does not dwell in flesh on the earth yet. See the powerful, powerful implications of these words. Well, Nebuchadnezzar's response is irrational and cruel, and he calls for the uh, heads of all the wise men of uh, Babylon. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Daniel's approach, manner and speech, are in stark contrast to the panic, fretfulness, and helplessness of his fellow wise men. His manner with Arioch, which reminds us of his manner with Ashpenaz a few years earlier in chapter 1, Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch. There's a great uh, character revelation about Daniel. Those of you uh, working in public life or business life uh, at the sharp end of Christian witness or in politics, Daniel, a man of prudence, tact, discretion, wisdom. He manages to persuade the king to give him time. The important point is how Daniel uses the time. He returns to his house, and having explained the matter to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, note the use of their Hebrew names. They are God's people still in exile in Babylon. 
He urges them to pray with him so that God might reveal the mystery. You see, Daniel and his friends are as helpless as the wise people of Babylon. The one difference is the appeal to the one God who can tell them the answer. And during the night, God reveals the mystery to Daniel, verse 19. What follows, verses 20 to 23, is an extended prayer of praise and thanksgiving from Daniel. That extended prayer of praise and thanksgiving is to make the point emphatically that God alone is able to reveal what is hidden at this deep, deep level of absolute truth. There is in the psalm a sense of awe and wonder that God answered so clearly and so specifically. And the point that Daniel has stressed in verses 20 to 23, that God alone is able to reveal what is hidden, is reiterated as Daniel goes to Nebuchadnezzar. This is verses 24 to 30, and you're just itching to get to the dream and the interpretation. And you get this dialogue between the king and Daniel when the king says, Daniel, it's great that you can tell me the dream. I'm not going to tell you the dream until you realize that it's God who's told me the dream. Come on, Daniel, it's great that you, I'm not going to tell you. You see, the dialogue goes back and forward so that Nebuchadnezzar knows and so that we know that we are not considering here Daniel as a wise, godly man who can make prophecies about the future. We're talking about the God of the universe revealing to his servant absolute truth. That's the point. Now, eventually, we get and that's not bad, 15 minutes and 46 seconds, to the dream, verses 31 to 45. Let's read together. Follow in your Bibles. You saw, O king, and behold a great image. Picture it in your minds. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. Now, just stop there and get into the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. What Daniel is describing here is precise. This is a, an image, a statue, if you like. And imagine Nebuchadnezzar listening to this. And he would have been told all sorts of stuff through the years by his wise men. But it would never have had the precision and the clarity and the unnerving exact correspondence with his dream. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, Nebuchadnezzar, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken into pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. What a powerful image it is. The statue with its head, its arms, its 
its breast, its belly, its thighs, its legs, its feet, hit by a rock, hewn not with human hands. And the whole thing falls and crumbles to dust, and the wind blows the dust away like chaff on the threshing floor. Well, the art of the storyteller has kept us in suspense. Now we have been told the dream. It is of a large statue, frightening and awe-inspiring in appearance. The statue is of human form. There are four parts, the head of pure gold, the chest and arms of silver, the belly and thighs of bronze, the legs of iron and feet, a mixture of iron and clay. And as the dream continues, this rock, not cut by human hands, strikes the feet of the statue. One of the wonderful things about the Bible is it tells us and describes events, and then it gives us an interpretation of these events. Biblical revelation, or God's revelation, is event plus explanation. The Bible explains itself. Verse 36, this was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. And some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with a soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mix with soft clay, so they will mix with another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation uh, sure. Now, we're told what the dream meant. The four-part statute represents four kingdoms. Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian kingdom are represented by the head of gold. That interpretation acknowledges the might and power of Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom. But notice it makes it quite clear that that power and dominion is given only by God. 
Following Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian kingdom, there will be another kingdom at less powerful. That's the chest and arms of silver. Next, a third kingdom of bronze that will rule over the whole earth. The fourth kingdom is then described in verses 40 to 43. It is the legs of iron and feet of iron and clay. What are these kingdoms? I think the obvious interpretation is the right one. Because we are told specifically that the head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian kingdom, it seems logical to conclude that the other kingdoms are those which followed in world history. The Medo-Persian, 539-331 or thereabouts, the Greek Empire, and finally, the Roman Empire. And then the interpretation moves to the rock and to the mountain, verses 44 to 45. And the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or succeeded. And the fact that the rock is not cut by human hands means that the rock, whatever the rock is, is of divine origin. Now, what is the rock? The kingdoms represent the bits of the statue. That's pretty clear. The Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire that conquered Babylon, the Greek Empire ruled by Alexander the Great. We'll get to all these prophecies, the detail of Daniels 8, 9, 10, and 11, and then the mighty Roman Empire that dominated the earth. And at the time of that fourth empire, the Roman Empire, this rock cut not by human hands, broke in and became an everlasting kingdom. Daniel definitely merits fireworks. It's entirely appropriate for this chapter. <laughs> I'm just hoping that they will suddenly stop, though. <laughs> Who is the king? Who is the rock? I've told you the answer. Now, the answer is Jesus. What's that fridge reminding you of, children? Jesus, in the kids' talk. The answer is Jesus. Now, just bear with the fact that this was written hundreds of years before Christ came. Let me build the case that the rock is Christ. Firstly, by turning us to the parallel vision in Daniel 7. Turn to Daniel 7, and you can read this in detail later. You'll always remember this sermon because the fireworks went off when we're in one of the great, great prophecies in the Bible. Daniel 7, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, this is a number of years later, probably 30 or 40 years later, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told him the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Four great beasts came up out of the sea. Four-part statue. Now four beasts. The first was like a lion. 
The head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar, is you. What do lions remind you of? Babylon, all the walls are bedecked in lions. The first like a lion with eagle's wings. I looked at his wings as they were plucked off. It was lifted from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. Behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. Verse 6, after this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And we'll see when we get to chapter 8 that the image of the leopard was associated with Alexander the Great and his Greek kingdom. You go and look at museums, artifacts, you will see leopards. Lions for Babylon, leopards for Greece. After this, verse 7, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left in its feet. And the image that comes to my mind, this fourth uh, part of the statue, this fourth beast is the mighty empire of Rome. And you can hear the massed armies uh, of Rome marching, marching, marching with the sound of iron and power. And breaking into this vision of the four beasts in Daniel 7 that match the four kingdoms in Daniel 2 is Daniel's 7 parallel to the rock, verses 13 and 14. This is the rock. I saw in the night visions. This is the rock that becomes a mighty mountain that fills the whole earth. I saw in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. This is the coronation of a king. And to him was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. How do we know the rock is Jesus? You go forward not to the New Testament. You go forward to Daniel chapter 7. Hundreds of years before Christ came. The rock is one like a son of man who is crowned as the king of God's eternal and universal kingdom. And his kingdom will fill the earth and one day, and now we're talking about the return of Christ and the new creation, one day all peoples, nations, and languages, that's Revelation 21 or Philippians 2, will worship Him. How do we know the rock is Jesus? Daniel 7. And then we could go to numerous references in the Gospels. We had one this morning from Luke 12 and 8. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me, the Son of Man, Jesus uses Son of Man, Daniel 7, more than any other title for himself because Jesus wants to make it clear to us that he is the rock, hewn not by human hands. He came from heaven. And he has established on the earth a kingdom that is universal, that will never end, that will outlast this world, and a kingdom that will become the new creation where all believing people will live with Jesus and the planet that is dying will be resurrected to. I wish they'd read Daniel 2 and 7 at COP. 
Because this is the truth. This is the truth. Oh, but you say, they would just laugh. He does not feel like or look like this is the truth. But instead of all of these speeches, which were important, they just lacked the answer. There is a God in heaven who is building an everlasting kingdom that one day will be all there is when there is a new heavens and a new earth, a new world to walk on, where the climate is no longer changing and the planet no longer dying, when the carbon levels in the atmosphere are right, and humanity once again rules responsibly under God over the creation. Now, just take stock. The truth that God reveals here in Daniel 2 is that He rules. He does not simply show that He knows what is in Nebuchadnezzar's mind. He does not simply show that He knows what will happen in the future. What He reveals is that He is sovereign over the future. And that one day, hundreds of years hence, a rock that we know is Jesus, not from the Gospels, but from Daniel 7. One day, the Son of Man will have a crown put on his head, and Daniel 9 will tell us that before that, there needs to be a sacrifice and a resurrection, and then a coronation. And as he reigns in heaven, the kingdom of God will grow in the earth, and all over the earth, it will not look like it or feel like it. And when you sit in a church on a Sunday night, comparing our small number with the 67,000 who were at Murrayfield, this is the truth. And it has been revealed by God to you, by His Spirit. Nebuchadnezzar's response. King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to, well, it'll take 50 more years before he fell on his face and paid homage to the God of heaven, as he would one day do. And the remarkable thing about these chapters is that Nebuchadnezzar is no pawn on a string of God to show him that God knows best Behind all of this is God's desire to show Nebuchadnezzar what will happen so that this mighty king of Babylon is the most glorious convert in the Old Testament. Chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar raises his eyes from the dust and the dirt to heaven and he says, God, I worship you. Here he worships Daniel. He doesn't understand that it's God who has revealed the truth to Daniel. And then, as now, the great danger is that those who are the proclaimers of God's truth come between God and His people.
Now, as we finish, the application is simple. Do we really believe that the Lord reigns? Point one, you'll see on the sheet there, we know that what God revealed through His Word in Daniel 2 is the truth. How? Because the Babylonian Empire fell to the Medo-Persian Empire in 539 BC. Go from Hall 3 to Hall 4 in the British Museum and you'll see the transfer. And then, a few centuries later, it fell to the Greek Empire as Alexander the Great conquered the earth. Nobody doubts that. Nobody here doesn't believe that the Roman Empire wasn't real. But what do you make of the fact that God revealed all of that centuries before? That's why the whole weight of liberal scholarship tries to post-date Daniel written after the events, but no one has yet come up with a credible academic argument that that is true on the basis of manuscript evidence. And nobody can post-date it till after Christ because Jesus read it. He read it out. And he hadn't been crowned. What do we make of it? What do we make of it? We make of it that what God reveals in his word is truth, truth, true truth, ultimate truth, absolute truth, the destiny of humanity. And we have God's full and final revelation in His Word. The Word of God written, sufficient, full, and the Son, the incarnate Word. We have it all. We have it all. We know we are in left with no shadow of a doubt that in spite of what it looks like or feels like in Edinburgh tonight, we know the destiny of the world. That sounds awfully grand and awfully grand, except it was revealed to us. And the question is, what will we do with it? What will we do with that knowledge? And in all sorts of ways, as a church family, Rog was on this this morning, the Word of God is seeking to persuade us to go and tell the gospel, to go and tell the gospel, and we will be afraid from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. It will never look like, never feel like God rules. But tonight we are shown from these prophecies centuries before that God rules. And this morning we were reminded that when we open our mouth, the Holy Spirit will give us the words to speak. What is the appropriate response? Let me end with Daniel's words of praise. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and set up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells within him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us 
the king's matter. And Daniel melts into the background, and the God of heaven is in the foreground. Now, I'm going to pray, and then we'll sing as we reflect on these marvelous truths. Our Father, we pray that as we sing, salvation belongs to our God and how great Thou art, that You would fill our hearts and minds and wills with that deep, grounded assurance that the future is not only in Your hands in terms of Your sovereign control, but exactly mapped out, and over the earth, the church of Christ is growing that eternal kingdom, and one day your Son, the Lord Jesus, will come again, and there will be a new creation, and Christian people will live in that new creation. And Lord, we pray that you would impress on us these truths, that we might live faithfully, without withdrawing, without compromising, graciously, without being afraid, speaking the truth, because you have revealed what is happening to us. Help us to sing with humble, committed hearts, for Jesus' sake.